part of her DNA was just to seek out those that were not included and include them. She would be constantly seeking out the most marginalized and connect, center them, um, leverage any privilege that she did have. She leveraged it in the form of allyship. And so seeing that and that being just the norm growing up, it was naturally part of my DNA as well. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, positive leaders. We are beyond excited to have some amazing guests on today. Mia Carey and Monica Dixon Perry. Mia is the CEO and change agent at Carey Consulting, and Monica is the director of veterinary consulting services at Berzensky and Company. Mia is a DVM, and Monica is a CBPM certified veterinary practice manager. Welcome, Monica and Mia, to the show. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so Hello. much for coming today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It is so great. I mean, you guys are powerhouses and what big names. We are super, super excited to have you on. So we have uh, two guests today. So I'm going to make sure that we go back and forth. On the Positive Leadership Podcast, we typically don't like to read stuffy bios. So Mia, would you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? And then Monica, you can follow up. Happy to. So non-stuffy bio. Here it is. (laughs) Um, You heard my name is Mia. My pronouns are she, hers. I am based in beautiful Greensboro, North Carolina, which is right in the center of the state. And as you also heard from the opening, I am the CEO and change agent for Carrie Consulting. And it's been a very interesting winding path to get here, which I will in a nutshell just share that it started out in research, studying marine mammals. Um, loved that, did that for about six years in a variety of locales. And that led me to the clinical stage of my career. Um, I worked before and after veterinary school as a vet tech. And then as an associate veterinarian in Gainesville, directly after vet school, had a lot of up and downs as we all do. And that led to my next stage of my career, which was actually an industry. 
I spent about 15 years working in industry in a variety of roles from sales to technical support to marketing to eventually executive leadership for both Novartis Animal Health and Behringer Ingelheim. And similar to my other stages, right? Good days, bad days, good mentors, bad mentors. I um, kind of was exposed to it all and I enjoyed that ride. And it led me to what I think of as my association stage of my career, where I worked for both first the NAVC and then AVMA, leading all of their educational programming and partnerships. And then I launched my own company about three years ago. So it's, I've been in this role for about three years and I was honored to have my a lot of my previous folks that I worked for are now my clients. So I get to interact with a lot of the same wonderful people. So that's been my roundabout journey to where I sit today. Awesome. Thank you. And Monica, what's your background? Non-stuffy bio. <laughs> <laughs> Non-stuffy. Well, I also live in North Carolina. I live in Raleigh, not too far from Mia. So we may not think we have Southern accents, but some folks may beg to differ. But I got my start in veterinary medicine many moons ago. I'm celebrating my 37th year in the industry this year and just elated was actually given the opportunity when I was 14 to start as a part-time receptionist after school. So after, you know, high school, I would come in, worked at Bowman Animal Hospital here in Raleigh while I was in high school. And when I went off to college, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, Go Tar Hills, I worked at another practice while I was there. And when I graduated from Carolina, I actually went back to Bowman as the practice manager and help grow that practice from a three DBM practice to a nine DBM practice. At that time, they were open seven days a week, Eastern, Western practice, and had close to 100 employees that I was responsible for overseeing and had been promoted to hospital administrator. Mark Opperman was our consultant, and lo and behold, I was hired by Mark, joined BMC, and I was with BMC for about 15 plus years consultant and then made partner. Right around the pandemic, I left VMC and joined Mission Vet Partners, one of the uh, consolidators. And I was with them for about a year and a half, was on the BD side, business development and then operations, and wanted to get back into consulting. So I have now been with Gary Glassman and Brzezinski and Company. I have known Gary for over 30 years as a friend and a colleague. Now, I guess you could say he's my boss. So I'm back into consulting, absolutely loving that. I have been a CVPM for over 20 years and somewhere in all that mix, I actually had the wonderful opportunity to teach at NC State University on the undergraduate level, developed a veterinary practice management program thanks to Debbie Boone. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Oh my gosh, that is amazing, amazing. <laughs> so on the Positive Leadership Pod, we also love our guests to share your favorite book or podcast or CE or course or something that's really left a kind of lasting leadership effect on you. So Monica, why don't you share with our listeners something that, again, a book, a CE, something you've come across that's really changed you as a leader? Oh, cool. I actually heard Kendra Hall speak through a vet partners program, I believe it's probably been maybe four or five years now, but she is a storytelling expert. And she came and spoke to the group of um, vet partners and she really approached communication and lecturing and presenting in a way that I had never seen before. And as someone who lectures and speaks, you know, nationally, internationally, I realized that 
unbeknownst to me, I actually tell stories, but I learned more so from like a scientific approach as to why storytelling is so important to keep your audience captivated and intrigued and engaged. So that is something that I have learned to continue to enhance and really cultivate in how I present. Even when I'm doing like webinars or coaching and mentoring my managers, I hope that as I am coaching and mentoring, as I'm lecturing, that those stories are going to help them remember those key tips, those key points to make their lives a whole lot easier in their day-to-day operations. So Kinder Hall, I would say that that was a CE opportunity that I really loved and enjoyed. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. And Mia, do you have a favorite? And it doesn't have to necessarily be totally leadership related, but something, some CE or some sort of professional development, something that changed your life in your recent times. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. And I thank you so much, Monica. I love that. Anything on storytelling, right? It's so powerful. So I'm so glad you shared that. Um, I actually wanted to share uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I was exposed to her work probably five years ago. And now I try to work Radical Candor into just about every... She's awesome. Yes, right? Yes. And, She's amazing. Yeah. Yes. And of course, Love there's a it. book. She also has a podcast. Yes. It's all about speaking yes. directly and caring personally. But I also want to give a plug in for Lisa Greenhill's um, AAVMC podcast, a Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Fabulous podcast. Highly recommended if you haven't been exposed to it. She has new guests. Usually it's every other week. Um, just had one on social colorblindness, which is amazing. So if the listeners have not been exposed to that, you can just Google AAVMC and podcast. It'll come up. Fantastic. I like writing down as fast as Excellent. I can the things that you guys are sharing. I appreciate that. Mia, you are known for being a change agent. What does this mean to you and why a change agent? So one of the beauties of launching your own business is you get to pick your title. So I did choose CEO and change agent, CEO, because I'm running the company. And then I chose change agent because, you know, I'm not one every single day, but I can be if I choose. And so can everyone. And to me, you know, we are either embracing change or we're bracing for change, right? Because we know change is the only constantly evolving. And if we get ahead of it and we can help drive it and be excited about it, it's a whole different way to look at the world. So I purposely changed that title. So every time I look at my email signature or anytime it comes up, I'm like, okay, Mia, what's it going to be today? And it's true for all of us. If we want to be excited about change, we can be. It's a choice. I love that. I love that it's either you be a part of the change or you're bracing for the change. That's fantastic. Monica, I have known you, I feel like since I was a baby manager, even probably before that, you have been an inspiration to me to get my CVPM. Ever since I've known and heard about you, you have been, to me, a world-class management consultant. Tell me about why and what draws you to management and leadership. Sure. So the fact that you say you've known me since you were a baby manager, boy, that makes me so old. <laughs> but uh, well, seriously. I'm pretty sure you were a baby manager too. So how's that? Is that oh, better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, just kidding. So what draws me to management? In all honesty, it is absolutely just the passion of problem solving. I think innately it has been a part of my existence. Something that my mother even used to say to me as a young child that I always had this kind of nurturing spirit that I wanted to help others. I wanted to figure things out and just make things easier for folks. And I can say, you know, hands down, I have walked the walk. I've talked the talk and 
honestly, my heart goes out to, you know, managers and anything that I can do to just make life easier for them. That's what I'm passionate about. And I think with, you know, my years of experience and having, you know, managed such a large facility, a large practice with so much going on, I feel that that's one of the reasons that I was put on this planet professionally was to try to make a difference and to make life easier and to hopefully leave a positive footprint in our industry and and motivate folks to become passionate about what they're doing to become CBPMs because we desperately need more in our industry. So that's what draws me. I just, I love making practices run like well-oiled machines and making life easier for those managers that struggle day in and day out with trying to, you know, make those practices run as efficiently as possible. Oh, I love it. I love it. So let's get into the meat of this episode. So Andrea and I wanted to dedicate an episode to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you both came to our minds being in the Vet Partners Group and possibly being suggested by other members to us, but not necessarily as maybe professional experts or, you know, PhDs or in that type of, you know, you both are really living that. And I'm fairly open. I'm a gay male. And obviously, I am a white male. So there's a lot of privilege attached to that. But I do obviously identify in a, you know, in a, in a group that is marginalized. So we wanted to ask you to share a short version of kind of your stories and what DEI means to you. And so I wanted to just share really quickly. So diversity, equity, inclusion, some kind of definitions to kind of get us going. So diversity is the presence of differences that may include race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, nationality, socioeconomic status, language, disability, age or ability, age, religious commitment, or political perspective. Populations that have been and remain underrepresented among practitioners in the field and marginalized in broader society. And then equity is promoting justice, impartiality, and fairness within the procedures, processes, and distribution of resources by institutions. Tackling equity issues requires an understanding of the root cause of outcome disparities in our society. And lastly, inclusion is an outcome to ensure those that are diverse actually feel and are, are welcome. Inclusion outcomes are met when you and your institution on your program are truly inviting to all. So, you know, with that framework and that being said, I'd love Mia, for you to share kind of, you know, what DEI means to you. And, you know, we can just kind of have a conversation around that. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for making this a focus of your podcast. For me, uh, the short version of the stories, I'm going to mention my mother too, Monica. You mentioned yours and how she nurturing spirit. And for my mom, this idea of DEI um, was part of her DNA long before it, you know, became such a topic that we've been talking about over the last several years with more emphasis, sadly, because of George Floyd's murder and all of the social unrest that was really spiked after that. For me, it started with Tootie. So Tootie is my mom, and it was I lost her during COVID, sadly. But part of her DNA was just to seek out those that were not included and include them. She would be constantly seeking out the most marginalized and connect, center them, um, leverage. Uh, David, you mentioned privilege, but any privilege that she did have, she leveraged it in the form of allyship. And so seeing that and that being just the norm growing up, it was naturally part of my DNA as well. And to me, I see DEI as a red thread of leadership and leadership is my jam. And so inclusion and belonging, communication, collaboration, right? These are all red threads of leadership. And so the timing is just so interesting for me when I launched my own company was right before all of that social unrest started at the peak of it, right before the pandemic hit. 
but it allowed me to really make my own decisions on how I invest my time and energy. And so I bring that into everything I do. My, the purpose of my company is activating others to thrive, um, but I'm always seeking out ways that I can do it with for those where I can really invest whatever privilege and power I do have to support those that may not yet be centered. And so again, I, I always give a shout out to my mom and she really opened my eyes even as a young child to how crazy this world is and yet how much hope there is for constantly supporting each other and coming together and doing better. So that's a kind of quick insight to my story around DE&I. Monica, will you want to share again your story and how it came to be for you, this subject, how you're living it? Sure. For me, being born here in North Carolina, and if anyone knows anything about the South, you know, my parents are products of of the South, um, born here in the 50s, and, you know, coming from a very humble upbringing. But something that my parents also instilled upon me is that, you know, we are who we are, and we are made in God's image. And for that reason, we are to accept others as who they are. We're not to judge. And I think that my parents, you know, knew their surroundings were tough, but they didn't hate people or, you know, they didn't put hate in my spirit. And having had a chance to move from North Carolina as a young child, I actually, my father's job moved us across the United States for five years. And in those five years, well, and including college, I've been in 17 different schools in my lifetime. So a lot of people think that my dad was in the military. No, it's just every time my dad got a promotion, we had to move. And for that reason, I was often the new kid. It was one of those things we would move into a new house, unpack, and then my mom would go and tell me, make friends. And I was luckily fortunate and blessed that I was accepted regardless of where we were across the country. And I mean, from East, Midwest to West Coast. And I think that that helped to actually pivot my ability to hopefully relate to people in the veterinary world, because I've worked with so many diverse groups of people. And I think that unknowing to us, me moving around as much as I did prepared me for the work that I do today. And I think that having to interact with different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, people, so on and so forth, and just, you know, hearing about the challenges that my parents went through, but still being a part of being accepted for who I was, even from moving from the South to the West Coast with that Southern accent, I was accepted. And I think that just helped build the character I am today, the person I am today. And that allowed me to think about my management style and how I would be accepting of others. But I would say that what has brought this full circle for me is that my husband and I have a daughter, Avery, that's going to be turning 15 in November. And we placed her in a dual language Montessori school when she was three years old. And Casa Esperanza is probably one of the most diverse experiences that I have had a chance to interact with and be a part of. And when you think of a school K through eight that has less than 500 children, but there are over a hundred nationalities in that one school and how I had a child in first and second grade teaching me about the Jewish, you know, religion, about Kwanzaa and things that, you know, I just hadn't been exposed to and how this child is so accepting and her generation has a different 
outlook, a different way of accepting people the way that they are, I would say that that actually has had a greater impact on anything that I've been through up to this point, because I think it is something that I'm the type, regardless of my age and regardless of it being a mother-child relationship, that I am learning from my child and her experiences and hoping that I can, you know, pass that on to the leaders, managers, owners that I'm working with on a day-to-day basis, because we have a long way to go. Being a female, being a Black female in America, I felt that my child needed opportunities or a path that would make things a lot easier for her, because I think females do have a a challenge, and Afro-Americans do have a challenge in America. But I'm realizing that despite those challenges, I think going back to your ethics and your morals is what, it goes back to the basics. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you don't have anything kind to say, nice to say, don't say it. And, you know, just try to be kind. So I think it's all about your upbringing and just trying to be a positive force in in this uh, wonderful world that we live in, despite its sometimes unwonderful ways. Thank you both so much for sharing. I, I know those are very personal moments and I appreciate you being vulnerable and transparent in those stories. I love the fact that both of you refer back to your moms too. I think our moms are so much more influential than we know in our lives. I'd like to take this and dive into veterinary medicine. Since we're all a part of it, right? We all live it every day. What does DEI look like for a practice manager? How can we navigate through these subjects with our teams knowing full well that these are very, very sensitive topics, but also ones that traditionally we have stayed away from. And Monica, I know your comment was we have a long way to go. So how can we integrate DEI better in our practices from the lens of being a practice manager or leaders in our practice? I would say that with any tough topic, you know, as a consultant, I've had to deal with really tough topics from the fact of sexual harassment, um, you know, body odor, (laughs) all those things I've had to deal with. I am the type of person that I think transparency and just being honest with whatever the issue is that we're discussing and always thinking, you know, does this tie in with our practices, core values, you know, the vision, it should be in the best interest of your practice of your business as to why you're trying to incorporate something like DEI. So yes, it is a sensitive topic, but I think that as working professionals, as your team, they need to hear precisely why you want to incorporate this into your practices operations, you know, your practices culture. And I think that if you're sincere, you're genuine, and you articulate your action plan for implementing a such program, then as long as they have the ins and outs, I think that most people are going to embrace something along these lines. Like it's a trendy topic right now. And I I hate to say that it's trendy because we know that trends come and go, but I hope that this is something that doesn't come and go for our industry. What's unfortunate is our industry sometimes is very slow to get things done. I would say that a lot of times we're reactive. For example, it is because of the pandemic that many folks in our industry Uh, received pay increases are probably being paid a a tad bit more than they were two and a half years ago. And it's unfortunate that a global pandemic had to occur for that to take place in our industry, because unfortunately, we know that many folks in our industry 
are living from paycheck to paycheck, can't afford to pay by their own home. And it took such a dynamic occurrence for us to get to the point and make a change. I know that once again, we have a long way to go with DEI, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's on the radar for more owners and managers to incorporate it into their practices. Yes, that's definitely our goal. I will tell you, I mean, we're just one podcast, but great. That's what it is. One, one practice at a time, just bringing awareness. Mia, what are your thoughts on this? So I obviously agree with everything Monica said, and I'll just emphasize the need to be intentional and strategic with how we navigate these subjects. And I think it's really important to get the senior leadership team on board and make it part of everyday conversations and regular staff meetings. It's, you know, it's not a one and done. Now we're going to have our DEI training session and now we're all set for the year, right? It's really integrating it into how we go about our business, um, as Monica said. And so I actually would bring radical candor back into it in, in terms of having the tough conversations, just doing it and caring personally, right? And I think if we keep both of those approaches in mind, we can, there's not a conversation out there that we can't tackle. And I think it's really important to make it part of the foundation of what a practice does. And that's where that practice manager, that role is so critical, right? Is to be the change agent, right? Even though the conversations are tough to encourage them to be had. So Monica and Mia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your thoughts. And our listeners, the managers and owners really look to us for leadership guidance. And I think that you gave such great information in that last question. So how can managers, and it was amazing transition that we just came up with, how can managers and owners of practices better integrate DEI into the practice? I mean, Mia, you were mentioning about top leadership, right? So for a, you know, talk about maybe a privately owned or a single site veterinary clinic or a, you know, privately owned multiple group, because a lot of our, the larger corporate groups are starting DEI initiatives, but it'd be great for those practice managers as well to think about integrating DEI. What's some stuff that they can start doing to a you know, show their team that they care about the diversity of all of them and what each individual brings to the table. And then B, that they're going to really make a commitment to show the clinic who everybody is and also treat everybody equitably, be inclusive, and obviously avoid, you know, discrimination and support diversity. So maybe Monica, why don't you talk to that first? Sure. I honestly feel that this approach can be taken with any uh, integration of a new policy protocol service, whatever the case may be. So I always tell my managers when they're coming back from a CE opportunity and you have what you think is a wonderful idea and you want to implement it, don't go back to your practice and say, I heard this wonderful idea and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. No, let them know you heard a wonderful idea and you want to see if this is truly something that would be accepted and appreciated within your practice. And how you want to start with that is to develop a committee, a committee of people that will be interested in DEI, or, you know, if you don't have an OSHA program or way back when, when, you know, going paperless was the the thing to do, or more recently, maybe implementing a telemedicine program or something along those lines. What I'm getting at is that you're going to have some people that are passionate about that particular topic. And when you have people that are willing to give 110%, those are the people that you want on your committee. Because you're going to have the ability to have folks that are vested, that are interested, they're going to be collaborative, they're going to be engaged. And what's going to happen, because they're members of the team, they're going to actually be walking PR individuals that are going to be talking about what the committee's working on 
And they're going to hopefully get your team pumped up about, in this case, DEI. And then they're going to help management so that management's not having to do it all on their, their own. But now we have a committee of team members with management coming up with the program, how we're going to implement it, integrate it. And then it's, once again, a team effort, not just ownership or management somewhat shoving it down the throats of the team. And I think anytime you're trying to implement something in your practice, unless it's like a a legal, you can't, you have to do it type of scenario. If you have the ability to engage your team and those that are really interested in that particular focus, you'll have a whole lot more success in getting the job done and getting it done effectively. That is what an amazing yeah, suggestion, like yeah. taking actually something off of the manager's plate, right? That's yeah. something we don't usually do. Amazing. So Mia, what are your thoughts on how I mean, practice managers, owners, or even just veterinary practices in general can better kind of take a page from what Monica was saying and recognize DEI and integrate it better into their culture? I would recommend tapping into the amazing resources that are out there. We're never alone on this journey. Thank goodness. There are not only experts out there, but also wonderful resources. And I would recommend any workplace to, to create a plan and a budget, but there's also really good free resources, such as, I'll just mention two of the many that are out there. One is the Harvard Implicit Association Test. And if you haven't been exposed to that, it's amazing. Again, from Harvard, research-based, a list of 16 different self-assessments that you can take and then create conversation around those on implicit bias, which is wonderful. What's such a wonderful tool? And again, it's free. So that's one. Also, um, BMAE and AVMA are launching a Journey for Teams free program later this year, which is going to be a huge asset to practices and other veterinary workplaces that are on this journey. So those are two of many, many resources that are available and so helpful as we're creating those teams, as Monica says, to help really drive the work. You want your senior leaders to be engaged and supportive, but 100% agree that having the team made up of folks that are really into this can take the practice where it needs to go on the journey and then tap into the wonderful resources on the way too. Mia, would you share the name of the Harvard resource one more time, please? It's Harvard Implicit Association Test. And if you just search online for Harvard Implicit or Harvard Association, it'll pop up and then it'll explain what it is and how to access the free self-assessment. Perfect. Thanks. You're welcome. I would love to get both of your feedback on some common mistakes that we make as leaders in our practices. Things that if you could say, just stop doing this right now, it's not even bad, it's hurtful. Mia, why don't you take this one first? Sure. So with that question, three just come to mind quickly. One and two of them are the opposite of each other. One is centering the DEI work only on those that are underrepresented and not compensating them for the work. I see that happen time and time again. On the other extreme, it's not inviting those that are underrepresented to be involved in the initiatives. So both of those, you got to find that sweet spot in the middle where everyone's invited, but the work isn't just on those that are underrepresented to share their stories, share their expertise, and try to educate the rest of the folks there. And then the third common mistake is just not taking the first step because it can be scary, right? We're venturing into for some workplaces, unknown territory, but take that first step. You're going to make mistakes, learn from it and keep going. Awesome. Thank you. And Monica, what do you think? What are some three mistakes that you think we should just absolutely do not do this again when we get to practice tomorrow? 
Right. Well, in addition to the great things that Mia mentioned, you know, I think a lot of it's is just a lack of planning. I think that you have to be intentional for an effective, successful DE program to work within your practice. So this is not something that you can just dive into and not have an action plan, even mapping out like a smart goal. So planning, unfortunately, oftentimes doesn't come to fruition. And then because of the lack of planning, oftentimes there's a lack of commitment and focus. So not having, you know, the focus that's needed to bring a program like this to to fruition often has team members frustrated because they may have thought this was the next thing since sliced bread, that it is great that ownership and management is embarking upon this. And then lo and behold, it goes by the wayside. And unfortunately, a lot of things go by the, the wayside. And I can appreciate you know, managers being busy, I can appreciate them having a lot on their plates, but you as a manager, as a leader will lose confidence in your, your team will lose confidence in you if you're always talking about things and things not coming to full effect. So, and then obviously the lack of implementation. So Mm. those would be the biggest mistakes that I often find with uh, ownership and management. Yeah. You know, they have good intentions, but it's just the follow through and Honestly, checking that box off to say that we got it done, right? it oftentimes just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. So, you know, we've kind of done the who, what, where, when, I think. And I'd love to just hit this right before we start to do some of our wrap up is the why. What is the benefit, Mia, of having, you know, good DEI policies, procedures and actions in our practices, what's the why of why our practices should really care and give a darn about this stuff? And, you know, not necessarily, as Monica said earlier, call it a buzzword. When I, and I'm the same way, Monica, right? We don't want it to think about it as a trend. It seems like it's a trend right now, but it's settling into something that'll probably be part of the fabric of work culture and life. So Mia, first, you know, what's the why here? Why should we be get on this train? So if I had to boil it all down into one word, I would say relevant. If we want to be relevant to the staff members, clients, the folks that we want to have part of our workplaces today and tomorrow, this is an area that we need to focus on. You know, as our society becomes more and more diverse, our workplaces need to mirror that. And if we're really thinking about the policies and the procedures, which is an excellent place to start, it's that planning that Monica was just talking about, then we create this really solid infrastructure and we can build from it. But to me, I mean, in some ways, it's so obvious, right? Hello, it's the right thing to do. But even more important that to some, right, and it just depends on where you are on this journey, is just knowing that if we want to be relevant, we need to focus in this area. There's um, data coming out from Deloitte that talks about workplaces that are inclusive are have eight times better outcomes than workplaces that are not inclusive, right? So there's the business side of this, this is the right thing to do. And then it always comes back to me. It's like, well, if we want to be relevant, this is an area we need to engage in. Amazing. Monica, what do you think? What's the why? Why is this something that we really just can't keep shelved? We've got to, we've got to get going in our practices on. Well, I mean, the reason why I feel that it's so important, the benefit of having it is that it just increases the empathy and awareness of others. But as Mia was saying, from a business perspective, you know, you're going to have increased employee satisfaction. You know, the studies that Mia's talking about, actually, my father retired from Deloitte and Touche um, about five, six years ago. And even back then, shared some of the DEI 
initiatives that Deloitte was doing as a Fortune 500 company when he was employed there. So rest assured, if a company that of that magnitude is working on something along those lines, they know the benefit of it. And if they're studying it, they know that it is going to affect employee satisfaction and then the bottom line. So it's not just the money that we're talking about here by any means. Our industry of folks, they're taxed, as we know, burned out to a degree that's, you know, taking a huge toll. And if we can do something that is going to change the dynamic of well-being, mental health health for uh, uh, folks in our industry, then I think it's something that ownership and management can't turn a blind eye to. They've they've got to make a concerted effort to do everything that they can for the well-being of their employees. And if this is one of those components, then just like being DEA compliant, you want to be DEI, you know, uh, make sure that that's on the forefront of what needs to be done to make sure your your business is healthy and doing what it should. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Mia, what's one or two really good action items that we can start tomorrow? Something as simple as we go into the practice, first thing we do, what should that be? So I'll ask two. One is engage the senior leadership, right? Start those conversations and then form that group to champion the work and do it by engaging with resources. So go into work, open up your browser, type in Journey for Teams and sign up for it. There's already a place to sign up so you can start getting all of the amazing resources that are coming from that immediately. So those would be the things I'd say we can get started on today, tomorrow, as soon as we get back into practice. Awesome. Monica, what are one or two really good action items that we can start when we get into our office tomorrow? I would start off as far as approaching DEI with not reinventing the wheel. So what I mean by that is uh, some resources that are out there, as Mia mentioned, tapping into those so that you do not feel like you have to start from scratch. And then also calling upon some of your colleagues or tapping into some of the forums that many uh, managers may be a part of, uh, VHMA, or if there's a manager's group that you're a part of, Facebook groups that you're a part of, um, find out who's done this and then tap into those resources so that once again, you're not having to reinvent the wheel. Perfect. Yes. I feel like that's one thing that there is definitely loads out there to help support us is resources, right? Phone a friend if you need to. Mia, we have had these encounters where all of a sudden your chin hits the ground, your palm hits your forehead, your eyes pop out of your head like a little pug, and you say, oh my gosh, this just happened. No way can you make this shit up. Please share your story. So one story comes to mind. It was my first year out of veterinary school. And for anyone that's a veterinarian or veterinary technician that's listening, you know, that first year out, um, there's so much that we still don't know and we learn it as we go. Well, one of the things I thought I had nailed was I was an excellent communicator in my mind's eye. And so (laughs) this particular client came in, it was, they had a, a dog who had a skin, dealing with a skin disease. And so we had prescribed cephalexin and antibiotic, which you give orally. And so I was sharing with this wonderful client you know, how to give the cephalexin to her dog and that you can put it in a little meatball and had to really spend some quality time. Very nice interaction. So two weeks later, the same client comes in and I was so excited to see them and to see their dog. 
And she's like, you know what? Nothing has changed with what's going on with my pupper. I don't know what's going on. I'm doing exactly what you said. But it seems like every time I put in the meatball, it just pops out. And I was, you know, I was asking some open-ended questions to try to get to the root of the matter. And long story short, they were giving the cephalexin in a meatball as a suppository instead of orally. No yes, way. Yes, yes. And so there was, oh, once, yes, once I realized it, there's like so many things that happened in one moment, but it was such a good humbling event because I was like, okay, oh, clear, wow. clearly, Mia, you're not as good of a communicator as you thought. <laughs> Hello. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so, and I didn't want to laugh too hard because I didn't want to embarrass the client. And so obviously I put it all on me saying, you know what, this is on me, but let's walk through this again. <laughs> So that was just one of those things. That even oh, to this wow. day, and how embarrassed yeah. were they? Oh my god, they were. But I made wow. it more about me so that they wouldn't be that embarrassed. That oh my god, yeah. this is on me. And so yeah, but uh, so whenever <laughs> I talk fantastic. about communication, I think about that story. I'm like, okay, we all have things that we can learn and continue to do better on. <laughs> right, right. Monica, we've all had these times where our eyes pop out like pugs and our hand goes to the forehead and your chin hits the ground and you're like, no friggin' way, I can't believe this just happened. Tell me your you can't make this shit up story. Okay. So the real life story that just had my jaw dropping, guys, as a consultant, I had a client tell me of a situation during an exit interview that just still to this day has my jaw still hanging. She was telling me that as she was in the midst of uh, terminating an employee, that the employee said, well, I have something to tell you. Um, And obviously to protect names, the employee said, well, you know, Bobby, the kennel attendant, last year, he was filming pornographic movies in the kennel area. And here (gasps) I have proof, showed the practice owner and the practice owner was like, in awe, but then she noticed that some of the actors, the girls that were in this movie, looked awfully young. So long story short, she had to contact the local police department, FBI got involved because it was child Child pornography. pornography. Oh, Oh, no. So here I am on the other end of the phone as a consultant who is here to advise and guide my clients like Oh my God. Like there's like, all I could say was I am so sorry. Yeah. Did you have it in your manual that I helped you, you know, prepare that no employee was allowed to have, you know, guests in the, you know, in the clinic without prior permission. And she said, yes, Monica, we had all of that. So, you know, not all, I mean, grounds for termination that of course was not an issue, but I just wanted to make sure she had that in her manual. Yeah, of course, but... of course. Holy cow, wow. <sighs> so yeah, crazy. that was one of those like, yeah. Um... You must be really good at <laughs> poker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. able to see through the shit and say, well, actually, just making sure your liability is covered, you know. <laughs> that is yes. amazing. So yeah, that was one of those moments. Mia, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners today, what would that be and why that advice? So my one piece of advice I'm going to steal from Ted Lasso. And if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, highly recommend. And that is that every choice is a chance. So every choice that we make, every decision is a chance to do better, be better. It is so easy to get stuck in a rut. We all do. But we choose to move forward versus getting bogged down. Every choice is a chance. 
Monica, if you could share one piece of advice with our listeners today, what would that be? I would say don't try to be everything to everyone. It took me close to my 50 years on this planet to get that right. Just be true to you and realize that the work is going to be there after you leave. Um, So don't try to kill yourself to get work done. Empower folks, leverage folks, delegate, but don't try to be everything to everyone. Yes, that stretches us way too thin, for exactly. sure. Yep. What, what's the saying? How does that go when you're master of none? Oh. Jack of all trades, but master of none? Master of none, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Diluted and you're not really good at anything. You're just kind of mediocre yes. at a lot of things. And you don't help right. anybody really that much. Right. You're just treating dropping the ball. Exactly. And, yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. An interview at BI that I completely failed to get that I wanted so badly and it turned out to be the most wonderful thing ever. Tell me about your proudest moment. Helping to launch VetMed Interconnected. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? The diversity, everything that we can do with our degrees and the variety of things that we could do being in this profession. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? I look for well-being double-dip activities. And for me, one of those is stand-up paddle boarding as often as I can. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I do not balance work-life. What I'm really good at is work-life integration, and that's achievable. What keeps you up at night, things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business or the industry? Suffering. People suffering, animal suffering. That's what keeps me up at night. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Activating others to thrive. That is the purpose of Carrie Consulting and also early morning exercise because bodies in motion stay in motion. What color are you? If you know insights, then you'll understand my answer, but I am yellow sunshine. And if you could be any animal in the world, what would it be and why? Today, I would be a cat because I just walked by my cat stretching in the sun on the porch and looked like the ultimate Zen master. So today I'm feeling cat. Awesome. 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 So Mia, can you shout out your uh, social media and contact handles and let us know where we can find more about Carrie Consulting? Yes. Thank you. So I'd love to connect on LinkedIn, Mia Carrie DVM, um, on Instagram and Twitter at ZenVet23. And then also my website is CarrieConsulting.com. I'd love to connect with um, any of you that are out there and learn from you. So Monica, now we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I attempted to 
become an MBA student while I was working full-time as well as teaching part-time. Tell me about your proudest moment. My proudest moment is going to be becoming a mommy. But professionally, I would say it actually happened this year. Speaker of the year, I was announced at BMC for the practice management track. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? We don't know that we are making a difference on a societal level. Rest assured, we are making a difference in the lives of our pet owners and their families. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Just taking time to say no. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience work guilt in that balance? I am actually probably an addict when it comes to working, but that is therapeutic for me. What keeps you up at night that you stress out over or causes you anxiety in your consulting business or the industry? I feel like we are in dire straits with our shortage of DVMs. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? When I look at my schedule and I see a manager that I have a coaching and mentoring call scheduled for the day. What color are you? My color is very similar to Mia's. It's yellow. If you could be any animal in the world, what would it be and why? Cocker Spaniel. Dog. Awesome. Monica, this was great. Let us know your social media context and also how we can reach you as a consultant. So my email address is monica at brzezinski.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and website is veterinaryfinancialadvisors.com. Awesome. Perfect. Mia and Monica, thank you so much for coming on our show. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you sharing your stories and educating David and I and our listeners. So we really, really, really appreciate you. Thank you both. This was amazing. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.